Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. My guest is playwright Will Eno, whose play Wakey Wakey, starring Tony Hale from Veep, directed by Ann Kaufman, runs at ACT's Geary Theater through February 16th. Will Eno's play, Tom Payne, Based on Nothing, was a Pulitzer Prize finalist in 2004, and other plays, including the realistic Joneses, Middletown, and Open House, have received various awards and nominations. Will Eno, Wakey Wakey is a play in which one character talks to the audience, and the audience listens and changes. I guess for you, when you're creating a play like Wakey Wakey, what is going on through your mind? What are you looking for, and how do you know that you've got what you're looking for? Well, it's always it's an ongoing experiment, as with maybe most things in life, and I think it's probably the same as most people working on a play. I just think of the audience as a as a very much a character in the play, and so I'm just trying to imagine this guy. Uh, guy is the character played by Tony Hale, who's you know, in this moment in his life that he's sharing with an audience and and just kind of asking them to, to think of some things in their own lives. So to be honest, I think of myself and, and ways that I can become detached from my own life and, uh, and my own uh, origins and uh, things that are important to me and how I can tend to float away from um, the really, really simple, important things and kind of get distracted by a lot of this sort of hoo-ha of uh, modern life. And so in some ways it's a play. I hope there are people like me who just need sometimes to be reminded of those simple things and uh, and try to um, connect them in a calm but also um, urgent way. And Tony does a really, really nice job with the kind of ease, but also with the kind of urgency that uh, life asks of us sometimes. In creating the play, when you sat down, did you sit down with the character of Guy? Did you sit down with the idea that I am going to look at how I look at life and time and what's left to me? I mean, when you sat down and first began constructing Wakey Wakey, where did you start? The play premiered at the Signature Theater in New York, and I had a really, really great friend, Jim Houghton, who founded the Signature Initially, I was working on a different play that Jim was going to direct at Signature. He had been diagnosed with cancer about a year and a half before that, and he was stepping down from the Signature, but he was still, you know, I, I really wanted to to work with him on something. So I was working on a different play. Jim then went into hospice and, and, and died kind of, it of course was surprising, but also he was pretty sick. Uh, Edward Albee, who was a, a good friend, also he died about a month later, and another another close friend. Uh, so some of the conditions for writing the play were, one, that this thing that I was working on was not going to be proceeding in the way that I thought it would be, and two, that some really, really great people in my life were gone. 
and three, maybe most, most important, my daughter was around two and was just starting to talk. So it was kind of a conjunction of all these, uh, all the the big, big sad things and the big, big, very happy things. And so I was really just thinking of those things. And I was thinking of, you know, what's the intersection of, of those things? And um, I suppose it is just life is the intersection. And uh being alive is the intersection between <laughs> being born and then dying. Um, and so it was in some ways as simple as that. That's a pretty complicated thing, as as anyone knows, as people know who are who deal with uh, any of the stuff that we all deal with, you know. So at that point, you're in a space, which, of course, we've all been in when people we know die. And at the same time, I mean, my mom died about two years before her only great-grandchildren would have been born. So there was the confluence of new life and old life going on at the same time, which I guess is sort of similar to what you were going through. Also, in 2014, when my, my, my dad died exactly 24 hours before my daughter was born, so I, I guess I had had some experience of those things the odd, odd thing of being at a funeral and showing people baby photos. and But that's always the case. And sometimes it's a little closer. <laughs> like, it, you know, in your case, it was there was two years. In this case, there was 24 hours. But that's some time in between. <laughs> it happen, <laughs> one happens and then the other happens, you know. When you begin working on a play, this play or any play, and you've got your blank paper or your computer, you just start trying to feel out the character? Are you just at that stage jotting down ideas that will form themselves into monologue or dialogue? It's really different with different plays. And I, I just had a, a, a play that just um, premiered up at uh, Yale Rep uh, back, back east called The Plot. And it all takes place on a graveyard and it concerns a guy who bought a plot there as sort of a real estate play. And that you know, observes all the unities. That's a very different play than, say, Wakey Wakey. Maybe both started, I just happens that it starts with me with some kind of an image or feeling that you then just try to observe and you, you, you just try to look at and see, okay, I saw this guy uh, in a wheelchair. It sounds superficial, but it really was helpful to just begin to picture a person, a guy with a, uh, a suit jacket on and pajama pants. Um, and <laughs> right. he's, he's there at this very particular point in his life. And he's, you know, he's trying to, trying to, trying to give of himself. And so then anyway, I just, st you start with the very, very formal, the most proximate formal conditions you can, you can draw from that first image that you come up with. And then, then you start to move forward. And then, then it begins to build. You never know exactly how long it's going to be or where it's going as you're working on it at first. Does that come later when the dramaturg comes in? Uh, Joy Meads, who's here and who's a great, great dramaturg and has been a lot of, she's, she's just got really great thoughts and questions and notes. This happened just because it, at the signature, this was ready. I had a slot for a premiere of a play in February of 2017, and Jim died in August of 2016. So I, I really started writing the play in around September to happen in February. So it, it was not the normal. Um, I have not done tons of work with the dramaturg, and it's more just doing readings with people. And uh, Michael Emerson, who did the play in right, New York, yeah. 
was really gracious about just kind of getting together to do readings as I was as I was moving along with it. Um, so it was more that than um, and. Uh, this sounds maybe pretentious, but I, I think it's there's, there's something sort of similar maybe to music where you want to, I sometimes think of it as, and maybe it's, it's true even with this play, The Plot, which is very linear and very plot-based. It's still you're guiding a series of, of thoughts and feelings and emotions, and you're just trying to steward along an audience's expectations and then maybe subvert an audience's expectations and stuff like that. Your director, uh, Ann Kaufman, for this she said for her, she says that it's not quite a play as we understand plays because it's non-Aristotelian. And that seems to be kind of what Willino does, except maybe Realistic Jones is a little bit more traditional in that sense. On one level, I think, in order to have the ability to throw the props away, the Aristotelian forward motion of a play, you have to fully understand it. Do you think that's true? I think that's probably true, but by me saying that would be a claim to say that I fully understand it, and I, I don't, although I really, really, really think about it, and I think that, you know, you can look at Aristotle, and then you could look at books about screenwriting from 20 years ago, but then I also think the you could say that the origins of plot are a, rustle, a rustling in the leaves. You know, we are we are animals who lived out, outdoors, right. and I think... In some ways, it's a little bit as simple as that. You have something that you experience sensually that you don't quite understand and you start to um, examine cognitively. And in some ways, that's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to say it, but I hope that makes sense that at some point the story was I'm sitting there underneath a tree, I hear a growl and I wonder what is that growl? And is it, is it moving toward me or is it moving against? And that's, we are wired to uh, kind of make those uh, guesses as to based on the information that we have, if that makes sense. So it, it almost becomes a puzzle because one question leads to an answer, which leads to another question, which leads to another answer. And linearly, you may be doing that, but that won't necessarily reflect in the content of the play. I think that's right. I th and, and then, I, you know, I think you can get super, super smart about these things. And then you can also... I. I think, I don't know if Wakey Wakey is a good example, but I know that there are things that a, a kid watching would be perfectly fine with. And that, right. you know, and actually, this is not a kid, this is a 16 year old guy, but I wrote this curtain raiser play, this 10 minute play that happens before Wakey That's Wakey. Substitution. Yeah, the substitution, which has been a lot of fun to, and I've been working with the MFA students here at uh, ACT. A young guy, the son of our lighting designer, uh, Jasp this guy Jasper said, oh, I, I think the, uh, you know, the first one comes first, the short play comes first. And he said, I was, I was trying to think, I was thinking about how those two are connected. And it's interesting because this, this, the short play comes after the other one in real, in real time. And it, it's the simplest thing. It, there's no reason it wouldn't. And it, I just thought it was the most lovely thing to be very free of the constraints of what you've been given and, and to, in some ways, interpret it in the reverse that we'd all been thinking of it in a way. I think a, a number of plays, Carol Churchill's plays, for instance, go forward, backward in time as well. So maybe in the more rigorous area of film, it would not necessarily work that way. But you see that in film too. But in a play, of course, since play is about being there at that moment, you can switch around on some level 
it's again subverting what an audience is expecting. I think that's true. And, you know, in a, in a very real say, there's, there's no, in some ways, there's no trick with this thing. It's, it's start, uh, Tony Hale will, will be there at the beginning and he, in a sense, will be there at the, at the end. And he's with us, you know, and he's with us from, if it's an eight o'clock show, it'll be about from 8.14 to 9.24. <laughs> and, that, right. you know, that's the beginning, middle and end is, is there. When you've got your monologue or dialogue down, I noticed in the script, there's a lot of different elements to come in. So it wouldn't necessarily be the same song here or the same image, but you're very specific about creating a multimedia effect throughout where images are going to be flashed on the screen for the audience to work with the dialogue as they're listening. Was that always part of the process? Did that come in later? No, that was always there for a couple of different reasons. One, it was a really lovely thing. For the initial play that I was working on that Jim Houghton was going to direct, he had assembled this incredible crew of designers, only one of whom I knew. And when he passed away, I, I wrote to everyone and saying, you absolutely do not have to be, <laughs> this is not what you signed on for. You do not have to hang around. Um, but everybody said yes. And it... It ended up being the most wonderful bunch of people, and it couldn't have been more unmetaphorical what we can do on Earth, because here Jim had assembled this bunch of people, and there I was every night in tech and previews, you know, having meetings and hanging out with these people. So it was this incredible bunch of relationships that Jim had inaugurated, and then he was no longer with us, but he was entirely with us. But one of the people was a great video design person. For that and other reasons, I, I I wanted aspects of the world to come into the theater with us uh, at certain points. One of the problems I have sometimes in a play like Wakey Wakey, where on some level you're required, whether you want to or not, to go into your own head and relate what you're seeing on screen to your own life or on the stage to your own life. One of the problems I have sometimes and this will happen if I'm at home watching a movie or something, is I'll get so far into my head that I lose track of what's going on on stage. And then I have to come back to it, and I wonder what I've missed. For you, Willino, when you're working on that, is that going on in your mind that you're, you're telling your audience in a way to go away into their heads, and yet at the same time, they need to be there present? Yeah, I, I I totally hear what you're saying. And then on the other hand, another way you could phrase that is, uh, the only thing I don't like about plays is that I have consciousness. And the only thing I don't <laughs> like about the world is that I exist with consciousness, if you know what I mean. So right. I, I hear you completely. I hope that it is all sort of paced out in a way and that that and, and Tony is so low. He is a, such an incredible actor. And right. I have had Annie and I have had such it has just been a thrill and truly it just is it's so wonderful. I think he's really, really gracious, and I think he's really generous. And uh, I also think he's really it's really very clear to him what he wants to do and what what the where not where he wants to take people, but where he wants to encourage people to go uh, in in whatever time it takes them to get there. But I hear you. I suppose, you know, but you might I think you would also say, 
in the in a play that does not encourage you to do that at all, it right. also happens too, right? right. You know, yeah. you, and you <laughs> yeah, sure. so you start yeah. thinking about something, and then you come back and, 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 you're and what going, the heck? Where Who's am that I? Guy? Yeah, Who's that guy? Yeah. Wait, I thought she was dead. Working with different actors on a play that's essentially a one-person play, there is another character who comes in. Say comparing working with Michael Emerson to working with Tony Hale. How easy or hard is it for you to gear in your work a play toward a particular actor and away from another actor? You know, it's it's really funny. And that's my, it's essentially my only experience. There's a, a great guy named Ken Webster who runs a theater down in Austin that did the play. And I, I taught a little bit down in, in Houston and got to see that production and, and, and hang out with him a little bit. But essentially my only experience with it has been with Michael and with Tony, who are really, really different people, but they're both just so themselves. But for whatever reason, there's been no friction between my two ideas of the, the, the people. or It's sat very, very nicely with both for whatever reason. Tony Hale also has more of a history in comedy. Mm-hmm. And that, I guess, will play some kind of role. It's, it, it is really fun. I, I hadn't thought about that. Well, actually, it's it's just it's, it's just interesting because Michael Emerson was really, really funny, and Tony is incredibly moving with it. And, of course, Michael was also really moving with it, and, and Tony is, is, is very funny. I think to, Tony is a real theater actor, which is it's so exciting to be around. And he, he really, really – he's a really, really thoughtful guy, and you can see what a – Craftsman sounds like it. it's a diminution of, of something that he's doing, but I really mean that he is a real genius of figuring out comedy and, and sort of taking a thing apart and then putting it back together. And all that. Well, when you see him in V, it's kind of weird for me to think about that particular actor in a completely different role because he made the character in V so much his own. I agree, and also it has been so. It's been really wonderful and surprising because both Gary from Veep and then uh, Buster, the character from Arrested Development, they're both very, very different from Guy, the, the right. main character in Wakey Wakey, and yet they're both. I was thinking about this the other day. They're both incredibly. Um, they're actually, I think, both very brave characters because they both live in these pretty murky, shark-filled worlds, and they both have found this sort of inner inner moral compass by which they live their lives. And I, I think that's somewhat similar to this guy, Guy. And I also have to say, watching Tony work, I think he's 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 been embarrassed when I've said this, but I just I find him he's so incredibly handsome and authoritative in this role. And I find it almost transformative how he's able to to, to do that. Because he he really, really can play something so straight in such a wonderful way. Um, anyway, it's a bunch of fun. <laughs> As audience members, are we asked to ponder exactly what we're seeing, or do we need to kind of let that go away? I hope that it can be slightly more impressionistic than that and still effective, and that just some of my favorite responses have been really, really simple things like, I just, I got thinking about a grandmother, and I just started crying and crying, and I hadn't cried about her in 14 years or something like that, and that was, I'm thinking of a, a close friend that was her response to things. So I think probably in the best way, I hope people can just go easy with it and just go where it, they might find themselves being taken or where they might take themselves. Yeah. Reading the play and then reading some of the comments that Ann Kaufman made about hospice, and I'm going, oh, but that's not necessary. 
I, I don't think it is. And I, I think it's all pretty, you know, in some ways it's, it's in, all incredibly literal. And it's, a, it's essentially a person saying, you know, hey, think about this for a little while, if you like, almost exactly in those words, really. And I'm totally fine with people missing things in the way you were describing earlier, where you just start to think about something kicks off a train of right. thought and feeling in you. But I, I, I think you could miss more important, if you started thinking now, wait, what, what, where exactly is this thing happening? And right, what is yeah. it? I think then you might lose some things which are really essentially geared toward, toward you and just saying, hey, what, what was an important thing? And, you know, what did that mean? And what do you want to be someone else to be thinking of you and stuff like that? Well, you know, I'd like to go back in your career because I was trying to find out how you became a playwright. And there's very little online about it. You were a professional cyclist of some kind or you just uh-huh yeah yes i was i got out of high school that was kind of the first thing i did from about thir- 12 or 13 to maybe 23 and i uh i got out of high school early and i lived at the olympic training center in colorado and did pretty yeah i got a second in the national championships one year and a bunch of other top 10 finishes and raced in italy on a pro am team in italy I was sort of a jock, but without any of the jock cred that you get with uh, <laughs> with football or baseball or anything like that. So yeah, and I was at, even at that time I was sort of scribbling and trying trying to write write things. Uh, but I, I definitely came into it kind of kind of sideways and kind of slowly. Were you interested in theater when you were younger? Was that what it came to, or you just began writing and it turned out these were plays? It was not something I didn't see a lot of plays when I was a kid. I I I got on a big Shakespeare jag at, at around 27. I started reading Shakespeare. Also, there was a very short uh, Don DeLillo play that I read that I was. It just got me really really excited about the possibilities of how how things might might happen. Yeah, not a. There's not really a an exciting or great story to it. Although I had a, a wonderful thing happen where I. I got over to the to to London um, when I was about thirty five or six or seven, and you know I did one of those courier flights back when you could do courier flights, and I was working at the time um, proofreading psychology textbooks. So I, I xeroxed up a bunch of plays because that also was <laughs> when people had read things on paper. You right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I lugged a bunch of p- plays over, and I dropped one off at the National Theater uh, at the stage door with a. A kind of crazy note that all I remember was I wrote it on right-handed and I wrote it with my left hand in this sort of scraggly, jaggy writing and ended it saying, um, I'm right-handed, but I'm writing this with my left hand, which I, they had every reason to drop that right in the trash uh, and say, you know, let's not, let's not engage <laughs> with whoever this is. But Jack Bradley, who was the uh, literary manager, called in within a a month and said, hey, we'd love to do a reading at the National Studio. And then a production of that happened at the Gate Theater in London and at a, a, a BBC radio adaptation I, I wrote um, got recorded. And so a lot of really wonderful things happened just from that very random. Uh, so you just dropped this thing off over the transom. You just. I, yeah, it was with a security guard at the front desk. You know, it was Seriously? Not with, yeah, it was not. Yeah. Um, and with, you know, I didn't it didn't even occur to me to ask to say, hey, can I could I leave this with the literary department? I just thought, oh, there's that's how you that's the closest I'm going to get. But anyway, that was a pretty wonderful thing. And so for a few years, I thought 
that was how things worked, which of course it isn't, but uh, it did in that case. What was the name of the play? Uh, Tragedy, a Tragedy. Which oh, I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so that was just, hey, I'm going to write a play. I wrote a play. I handed a play in and someone loved it. That's pretty much, that was kind of <laughs> it. And it, it, I really stayed a bunch of, the whole gang of people. And it is, it's it's funny as you get older and older and, you know, I've yeah. known people now for 20 some years. Yeah, that's that surprises me because I, I just, I think of myself as a guy who mows lawns outside of uh, Boston, Massachusetts is sort of the <laughs> the arrested picture I have of myself. So to think that I have had friends in London for 20 years is, seems very surprising and uh, sophisticated. <laughs> Once that happened, had you read Beckett at that point? Because you're often compared to kind of like a kinder, gentler Beckett. I had read Beckett. I love Beckett's work, and I, I, I really liked reading about the guy. And it, it always cracked me up that he he seemed to follow tennis and follow cricket, and he played cricket and stuff right, like that. Yeah. So it just seemed like a like an interesting guy. Particularly in the last ten years, I really feel like content-wise and formally, I I I feel I feel very different from. I think I know his plays pretty well, and I feel very very different. And um, I always forever will be grateful to um, John Lahr, who wrote a review, and then I got to meet in London. And he met my daughter, and he, she, who was five months old at the time. And he said he said something so lovely. It was just like uh, I think he said, "She's just going to smile at the world, and the smile, and the world's going to smile back, and that's that's what she will know of life on Earth." Because she is a she is a really she's a lovely person, and she's now five. But John just he just wrote sui generis in mm-hmm. his review, and he's a guy. You know, I think he talked his father into doing the premiere of Waiting for Godot. At, in Miami, you know, so I think he, I'm sure he, I, don't, I, I think he must have known Samuel Beckett, but he certainly knew, he's a smart guy who knows all about Samuel Beckett, and he didn't see fit to make, <laughs> make any comparison, and I was glad for that. I think the comparison comes more with the fact that if you walk into most plays, there's a bit of baggage that you take with you, but with Beckett, if you bring baggage with you, you lose Beckett. And I think for you, Willino, you have to walk into a play and kind of discard whatever ideas you have about what a play might be. And I think that's where the comparison comes in. I guess that's true. But I, but I mean, with so he's got, he, I don't think he has much in the way of direct address. You know, there's, right. there's a Which time. Which is what you do. Yeah. Right. So I, I think to me, that's a, that's a world of, that's a really, really profound difference to create something where someone's sitting in a rocking chair and talking to who knows whom or whom knows whom um, <laughs> right. uh, or something where someone's almost literally saying good evening how's it going welcome to this actual theater that we are actually in you know i think that's a like i say it's a profoundly different universe but i hear you i i, I like that thing that i thought you were going to say if you walk in if you bring a baggage into a beckett play you will lose it after Tragedy a Tragedy, there was Tom Paine, which is a monologue. And then after that, I understand that you wrote Realistic Joneses mostly to see if you could actually write a play play. A little bit. There's there's other ones in there. There's something called The Flu Season that happened in London after uh, Tragedy a Tragedy. And it, there's definitely that. It, it, it wasn't just as, as sort of breezy as that it was you know I was thinking a lot about both disease and mortality and much more importantly um, life and 
and non-disease and how do and 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 uh, intimacy i suppose stuff like that but to be plain i've also you know the plot is really that was in, in some ways an investigation of, of plot and an experiment with it for me which was also just really exciting because it, it occurred to me to believe that we have agency and that we can hatch mm-hmm. plots that have this certain outcome that's a certain worldview. That's not just a genre of writing. That's an that's an understanding of human existence. It was fun and exciting, and I hope meaningful for other people. <laughs> this thing that I wrote, because it really got me thinking about just how much can we plot, you know? And and we could plot all we want, but then, boom, you know, watch out. <laughs> when you're working with plot, you're following. I don't want to say you're following patterns because you don't have to follow the patterns, you know what is it, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl kind of thing, you know, which is sort of the basic idea. I mean, you could still start, you know, at point A and then wind up at point Z. And in in fact, if you look at, you know, pre-code films, they don't do the three-act thing. Uh So you don't have to either. Uh, Romulus Linney had a great description of what a play is. It's, uh, he he says, well, it's couple people standing there and one says yeah i hate joe and the other one says yeah i hate joe too then the first one says hey here comes joe (laughs) uh uh, i found it really fun work i'm excited i I loved uh work with a guy named harris ulin on that play the plot up at yale rip among a, a whole great cast harris is 82 and simultaneously had a play running in new york with uh charles turner who was also 82 so that was really, really amazing and super inspiring to be working with two very different, very wonderful 82-year-old actors. But yeah, it's a very satisfying to get the kind of, ooh, I did not see that coming sort of thing. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. It also means, I guess, you sort of have to open yourself up to whatever is going to come next. I mean, I've talked to a lot of writers who at some point say that what they're doing on some level, which they don't understand, at least for the first draft, is kind of a channeling do you get that? You know, it's uh, it's something like that. It's, yeah, I think there really is. And there's something like I have a play that starts rehearsals in a week back in New York, Gnit, that's an adaptation of Pure Gint that I started working on 10, I don't know, more than 10 years ago. When I started working on it, I thought it was kind of a clinical, it felt sort of formal and clinical, like what's this is a crazy play. I don't know how it works. I'd like to see. And I really came to realize there was something I really, really did not like about that lead, the main character, Pierre Gint. Um, there was something I found incredibly self-involved and selfish. And I think, I hope I'm a good person. I hope I tell the truth and, and I try to be plain and direct with people. I think I wasted a lot of time. I think I turned away from a lot of dear people who loved me in my 20s and 30s. I think I really was kind of a... I was not headed in a great direction, and I and it took me eight years after starting that play to realize. Oh, I think that's, I think that was my attraction slash repulsion that drew me to that play. So that's a long answer to say. Yeah, I think there there's sometimes as as certain as something can feel, then you you realize. Oh, it actually was slightly different. That was the the reason there, and that was the cause and the, the thing that I was actually doing there. Is one of those situations where you have something and it's going to sit and then suddenly it makes sense. I think that's true. That's what's kind of fun about it is you hope that it, you're working towards sense 
and then you realize, oh, it, it, it makes a whole difference. <laughs> it actually was a different sense that uh, was the big secret sense or something like that. When I went to IMDb, I found something, I don't know, I mean, IMDb is weird, that there was a Brazilian film called Sunstroke. Right, that I wrote with a guy named Sam Lipsight, a novelist. Uh, Felipe Hirsch is the director, and he was a guy who directed a couple of plays of mine in Brazil, and then he asked if Sam and I wanted to work on a, a film script, which we did. It was a really crazy experience where I remember how it really, really went was this bunch of get this bunch of emails, we would be hammered with these deadlines saying, we really need, we're scouting locations. We need the script by Friday. You know, we hit our deadlines and really, truly two or three years went by with no response, no updates, nothing. And then this funny, funnily worded email showed up saying, the impossible has happened. We are at the I think it was the Venice Film Festival. I can't remember. It was in the New Horizons category of the Venice Film Festival or something like that. And I'm not quite sure how I feel about how the, <laughs> how the, how the movie came out, but it was a fun thing. You've seen it. You know, I can't remember. I, I've, see, I've seen a bunch of clips, and then there was something weird about the, uh, the PAL or CCAM or something like that. So I think I couldn't get the full thing to, to play, but, so I have not seen the full thing. Years ago, I actually interviewed Lipside. He'd written a novel, and I think he interviewed him I bet for you it. Would. He's, a, he's a great writer. Um, the Subject Steve was a book, and The Ask is something that came I out. I think it was The Ask. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. No, it's good. He's a good guy. Well, you know, how did Middletown come about? It started, crazily, it started with an idea. I was always interested in choruses, and not so much for how they worked, but how they seemed to not really work, where I guess, I don't know how they did that in, in Greek... Greek times, but it it just seems in a very basic way hard to understand what a chorus is saying. It just seems right, to, yeah. it does not work out. So I just was interested in that. So I started with some version of a chorus that had a, a nurse and a cop and a librarian, <laughs> and they agree. This is really hard for people to understand. It was something like that, and it was also just I was thinking about how much emphasis we put on birth and on death as events. And in some ways, we're not present for either. You know, this the, right, yeah. most of life is the, all the other stuff. Is all the other stuff. So I guess it was a little bit that of just thinking of the middle, the middleness of things uh, for good and bad. Well, it seems each of your plays, on some level, are dealing with some of the same things, which is what the hell are we doing on this planet, and how should we observe what we're doing on this planet? I think that's true, and I don't. Yeah. I, I don't feel that in great despair. You know, right. I feel I feel like that's that's in some ways that's the project. You know, that's um, and I, I think clearly we're not done yet. I don't know that we fully, <laughs> we fully evolved or arrived. I never want that to be an over overwhelming or uh, I don't want to bludgeon people with my own <laughs> questions about how do we be if that makes grammatical yeah. sense. How do we be? Does that make sense? I can't. I'm, I'm, these are plays. Now, you did the one film, and there's actually a film version of Tom Paine, but that's just a filmed... Uh, pretty much, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. And there's a short called The Rest. Uh-huh. But by and large, you're working in theater. For you, Will Eno, why is theater the primary area where you're working? 
I just read the phrase collective effervescence this morning. It was about people exercising together. And I thought to actually send it to Tony and Annie because it was about the benefits of exercise and the benefits of moving in sync with people. And I love all that stuff that you read. Joy Meads really knows this stuff about how they find people's heartbeats sync up and all these different kind of pretty magical things happen with a bunch of people, I suppose, in any configuration that has them all sitting together attending to the same thing, but it seems to particularly happen with theater. So there's some there's some very deep, kind of dark and kind of beautiful magic to it for me that it's not just a story happening and a person thinking about that story. It really is. There is something, it's one of the more mysterious things when you, and it's kind of, um, it's, it's tr- troubling sometimes or it's certainly irksome, but you can be working on a play and have, get the performances pretty, pretty set and everything's pretty pretty set and it really can just feel like a rock show one night in terms of audience response and then the next night with no discernible change in anything it is as if everyone agreed out in the parking lot do not make a peep at any point <laughs> well, all right are we agreed we will not make a peep and it i don't know what happened i would love to see you know everybody hooked up with electrodes and stuff like Figure that to see what what, what what really really happened but it's something it's something like that and it's something like the simpleness of human beings and the voice and light and dark and things like that. For me, and maybe it sounds weird to come home to this, but when I was watching that long Harry Potter play, there's a tendency because they're special effects and, you know, we know this this story from film. But at one point, the actor playing Harry Potter dropped his wand and it suddenly occurred to me, holy cow, these are people on stage, we are in the audience, and we're in it together. Does that make sense? It, it totally does make sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And in some some fun way, I guess maybe this goes back to your very, very first question. And um, I think of the best, the, the most complete view mm. of most plays of mine, maybe, but certainly Wakey Wakey would be from above where you see that the whole event is actually the audience and, and, and Tony Hale and... You know, and what what is happening collectively is that's the final true measure of the play, I suppose. You've been listening to an interview with playwright Will Eno, Wakey Wakey, starring Tony Hale, directed by Ann Kaufman, plays at ACT's Geary Theater through February 16th. For more information, you can go to act-sf.org.